Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with breaking news. Emergency vehicles are on the scene in Surrey where a fire has broken out at a home in the 8300 block of 120A Street in the Newton area. A number of fire trucks are on scene as well as police and ambulance. Thick gray smoke is billowing into the air. No word on what caused this fire. It is in a residential area, so the impact on traffic is not too bad at this point, but we'll keep an eye on it for you. Now to that huge transit announcement in Vancouver today. Metro mayors and the province revealing how they will cover a gap in regional funding for phase two of their 10-year transit plan. And as you might have guessed, it's going to cost you. Nadia Stewart joins us with the details. Nadia, the financial pain will be spread across the board, though. Yeah, from fare hikes to a bump in property taxes, everyone is going to be paying just a bit more. But those at today's announcement say it'll be worth it in the long run. After years of delays, doubts and disagreements over money, a long-awaited plan. So today I'm very pleased to announce that the Mayor's Council in the province of British Columbia have reached an agreement on how to fund Phase 2 of the 10-year vision. Phase 2 will bring with it the construction of the Surrey-Newton-Guilford light rail, the Millennium Broadway extension, and significant SkyTrain and bus service upgrades. We are committed to funding 40% of the capital costs of the Mayor's Council 10-year vision, and to work with all levels of government to deliver on the transportation infrastructure needs that will grow our system. The Mayor's Council also revealing how they plan to cover their $2.5 billion share. They expect Phase 2 will generate a $1.6 billion bump in revenue, but there will be a 2% fare increase. Parking will go up by 15 cents per hour. Developers will have to pay more per unit on new builds, and property taxes will go up by about $5.50. It's never palatable to raise taxes. What we're generating with this amount of money is something well beyond anybody's expectations. We're achieving much more for this system than that small tax dollar amount could have achieved without all of the help we're getting. But the Taxpayers' Federation says Metro Vancouverites should not be asked to pay more. We did this math back during the referendum. They could have used about 0.5% of their growth because they have growth of around 5% or more every single year. But transit watchers are willing to stomach the increase if it finally means progress. Uh, It's great that we have this announcement. That's one step further to getting to Fraser Highway Light Rail. You you can also see this as an indirect uh, investment in the issues of affordability as well as economic development. Now, the province is kicking in an extra $30 million, but they still haven't made clear exactly where that money is coming from. As for the Broadway extension, this won't be making its way all the way to UBC just yet. Arbutus uh, will be the last stop for phase two. And the next step in this process, everybody's favorite, public consultation. That'll begin in April. Sophie. All right. Thanks for that. Nadia Stewart reporting tonight. Well, today's announcement also raises a number of questions about the impact of these taxes. Keith Baldry joins us with more on that. Keith. 
Yeah, so it's a huge package. It's a long-awaited, I think, uh, improvement for transportation project, uh, which probably never would have happened under the B.C. Liberal government, but it is a priority for the NDP. So some unanswered questions. First of all, can will uh, that additional $1.6 billion in additional revenue uh, resulting from a uh, higher ridership actually materialize? I think that's an open question. Derek Corrigan is confident the money will be there. It's a big target they have to meet. Also, does this mean mobility pricing is dead? Uh, certainly, that's the word over here here that mobility pricing is not going to be championed by any mayor, particularly in an election year, and they've got enough money from other sources, which means that's probably off the table. And will these new development fees uh, hinder construction of new residential housing? $300 to $600 per unit on top of existing uh, uh, development fees. Uh, the government already predicting and projecting uh, housing starts to go down in the coming year. So those are some of the unanswered questions to, to keep an eye on going forward as we await the proverbial shovels in the ground at some point. Sophie? Okay, thanks for that, Keith Baldwin, Victoria. Another big transit announcement today. BC is jumping in on a feasibility study of high-speed rail connecting Vancouver and Seattle. The Premier making the announcement today alongside Washington State Governor Jay Inslee. Ted Chernecki has more on how much BC is contributing to the study and what the project, if approved, could cost. And why wouldn't B.C. be all over the proposed high-speed rail line when all this province has to worry about is 20 to 40 kilometers of track? Province of British Columbia will participate in the, the business case study that the governor will talk to you about by contributing $300,000. A modest investment to be sure, but the cost to build a line from Portland to Vancouver is a whopper. A detailed final study updated last month by Washington's Department of Transportation suggests the final bill could range from 24 to $42 billion. We cannot wait to get on a high-speed rail line to come up to have the greatest hockey rivalry in North America, which is the Seattle Totems versus the Vancouver Canucks. California has already started a high-speed line from Los Angeles northward, overspending its $60 billion budget already. Could the Cascadia line meet the same fate? Don't tell us that we can't be as smart, as innovative as the people in China. We at least have those attributes. And we have the advantage of going to school in California. And any mistake they've made, we're going to put it in the bank and we're going to learn from it. The study is open to all kinds of new technologies like magnetic levitation trains, now in use in China, or the Hyperloop idea now being tested in the States. The final cost can't be pegged until a decision is made on which technology to use. One thing is certain, Washington State is very serious about this project. And when you build a high-speed rail line, you are building a monument to optimism. Ted Chernaki, Global News. Vancouver police are issuing a warning about a number of unprovoked assaults on Vancouver's west side. Ramina Dea is live with more on this story tonight. Ramina, police need anyone with information that might help identify a suspect to come forward. They do, Sophie, and that's why they're going public with new evidence tonight. Now, Vancouver police believe that the same suspect is responsible for all four attacks last month, and that's why they're releasing new images in hopes of generating new leads, which will hopefully lead to an arrest. Now, the images are from a gas station at West 2nd and Burrard from February 5th, which is when the first two attacks occurred. The third was on February 22nd, the fourth on the 24th of February, between around 
around 5 p.m. and midnight. Now, what's interesting here is that the victims were not only female, they are also male, three of them in their 20s. None of the victims know the suspect. Now, police say he approached the victims in public places, on a sidewalk, in a convenience store, and without provocation, he punched or pushed the victims before walking away. Police say no weapon was used. Nerve-wracking a little bit because this is... I consider this to be a pretty safe neighborhood. Unfortunate, but hopefully he gets caught and help, obviously. He's troubled. It's scary. We're not ruling out um, any issues with mental health at this point, uh, but we're looking at everything. Uh, there are some working theories, and I don't want to hypothesize right now that may lead down the wrong road, but right now the motive is just unclear. Now, all four victims suffered minor physical injuries. None were taken to hospital. Sophie. All right. Thanks for that. Ramina Dea on the west side for us. Panic and terror in a Vancouver McDonald's. Last night, a man walked into the restaurant carrying a gasoline can and set himself on fire. Jill Bennett has more on what happened and why the police watchdog has been called in. A large police and fire response after a distraught man doused gasoline before setting himself on fire Thursday around 9 p.m. I saw a guy sitting on the street outside of the McDonald's. I saw him get up with a gas can in his hand. I saw him run after a woman and I heard him say, I'm going to burn you. Arsenault called police as she watched the man she described as distressed and angry. And he took the gas can, he walked into the McDonald's and he was shouting something and then the next thing I saw he was just spreading the gasoline all over the McDonald's Um, and then the guy uh, ran into the back of the McDonald's and he was squatting at the back of the McDonald's and I could see him lit a cigarette and he was squatting at the back of the McDonald's. Police tried to negotiate with the man for about 40 minutes. They then used an Arwen gun, shooting several beanbag projectiles at the man. Fire crews also used a high-powered hose. He has had interactions with the police uh, prior to this. There is um, a history of, of some mental, uh, mental illness. Not unique to Commercial Drive, but businesses here say there has been an increase in the number of people who appear homeless and often dealing with mental health issues. It's something a local business group wants addressed. You know, we're looking forward to uh, having uh, all the, uh, the groups, the Vancouver Police Department again, Uh, getting out into the neighborhoods and in our opinion we'd love to see them on foot at street level uh, working to proactively uh, solve some of these problems. Because police were involved when the man suffered serious burns the independent investigation office was deployed. Right now we are looking for any uh, video that there might be in relation to the incident. Uh, I believe we do have some and we'll be seeking out as much as possible. Jill Bennett, Global News. A new affordable rental building opened in the downtown east side today. It makes Canadians feel more secure and leads to a more prosperous future. The Olivia Sky Building is located at 41 East Hastings. The 14-story development has nearly 200 new homes, 52 of which will rent at the welfare shelter rate, the bulk of those reserved for women. 68 units will rent to people earning $49,000 or less, and 78 units are pegged for the city's low end of the market rates. Soccer Canada is speaking out for the first time today about a recent about the recent controversy over the bid to host the 2026 FIFA World Cup. It comes as North America presented its united bid book today in Switzerland. But as Richard Zussman reports, that also means 
It is officially game over when it comes to BC's participation. Friday was supposed to be a day for celebration for Vancouver soccer fans. The United World Cup 2026 bid between Mexico, United States and Canada presenting its bid book to FIFA. But there was a city missing. The uh, bid book uh, identified 23 candidate host cities. Uh, The three Canadian cities were Edmonton, Toronto and Montreal. All week, the B.C. government tried to explain why it backed out of the bid, explaining that the contract was too open-ended. It gave FIFA too much power and put too much risk on the province. But still, the provincial government was making it sound like there was some sort of wriggle room to allow them to get back into the bid at some point. We worked very hard to get uh, the World Cup to Vancouver and, and our door is always open. But on Friday, Soccer Canada slammed the door to any hope of BC getting back in. We're not in a position to make any amendments to that bid book um, once it's submitted. Soccer Canada making the announcement in Edmonton, where the Alberta government is not supporting FIFA, but the city is. The federal government is also on board, but its funding is limited. We as a federal government are very proud to support in principle up to uh, investing up to $5 million to uh, advance the, uh, the bid. The idea of having to watch other Canadian cities being showcased on the global stage is something that has local soccer fans down at the dumps. Very disappointing. Yeah, why? A city like Vancouver, we've done such a good job with international events. People love Vancouver. I think it's sad. I think um, with the women's here a couple years ago, I think um, they're missing out with the men being here. But no soccer doesn't mean Metro Vancouver fans will be totally shut out. If the United bid wins, Seattle will likely host some games, a few-hour drive for eager soccer fans. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. First, though, chickens have been scratching out a comeback in more and more urban backyards. But a property owner in Victoria is hatching a plan that has neighbors in a flap. Kylie Stanton now on the scheme that has residents squawking. That construction started about, uh, I guess, about 10 days ago. The sound of nail guns being used to build these compost bins and chicken coops are the least of their worries. There's a couple of chickens there. There's only five right now. It's what's coming to this two-acre property that has neighbours making some noise of their own. There's supposed to be 100 by the weekend. It's essentially a farm. It's going to stink. And uh, it's going to attract vermin. It's inevitably going to attract vermin uh, when you have all this garbage and and chicken waste around. The plan is to use the animals to help feed those living here. An 8,000 square foot, 35 unit rooming house occupied primarily by low income tenants. It's a small chicken. The landlord purchased the animals from Duncan and says she wants to provide everyone living on the property with two fresh eggs a day. It's only for the eggs. Eggs is going to be shared among our residents there. And while construction began just a few days after the city denied her rezoning application, she claims this idea is in no way related. The application denied is a different issue. I want, after that frustration, I feel I need something positive. And right now, there's nothing stopping her. Victoria City Council is in the process of amending the animal control bylaws to limit the number of backyard chickens to 12, while requiring the person keeping them to live on the property. But the new rules still need to be passed. Our staff have have made them very much aware of the bylaw that's coming and and the issues about compliance. And if you're not in compliance, I expect that the city would then have the authority to bring anyone into compliance who doesn't agree to do it on their own. And so until there's something to enforce, the project is moving ahead, leaving neighbours with no choice but to stand back 
and watch. We didn't move to have a, a chicken farm next door. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. And pandemonium is coming to an end in Toronto. For the past five years, giant pandas Urshan and Damao have been the stars at the Toronto Zoo. During that time, Urshan gave birth to Jai Pan Pan and Jai Wei Wei. Now they're being prepared to move to Calgary next week. During their 12-hour flight, they'll have 400 kilograms of bamboo with them, as well as apples and biscuits to snack on. A veterinarian and their current zookeeper will join them on the flight. The four will call the Calgary Zoo home until 2023. The world's largest online retailer is giving a big boost to some lower mainland high school students. Amazon is donating more than $15,000 to support New Westminster Secondary School's STEM and robotics program. It will allow more students to pursue science, technology, engineering and mathematics outside the classroom. Well, three B.C. communities are bracing for an uncertain future. That's after the U.S. government slapped a tough new duty on newsprint being shipped to the U.S. With mills in Port Alberni, Crofton and Powell River, Catalyst Paper is now facing a 22% levy. John Hua reports from the Sunshine Coast where there are fears this could lead to layoffs or even a shutdown. In the city of Powell River, where the margin of survival for this mill and its workers is paper thin, a blow from south of the border is ripping through the confidence of an entire community. It's terrifying. Yeah, it's scary times. The U.S. Department of Commerce first hit Catalyst Paper with a 6% tariff in January. Now going for a knockout punch with another 22% export tax on its products taking effect this August. I'm like, oh my God, we won't survive that. We won't. Powell Rivers mayor says the complainant, a competing mill in Washington state, isn't fighting on principle. Instead, picking on Canadian mills, it sees as weaker prey. This is all about dirty pool. The two big ones in Ontario, I think, strategically were left out because they have the finances and the muscle to carry this through. The company's three facilities in British Columbia were already struggling in an increasingly paperless society. But through new products, tax incentives, and even employee concessions, the future of Powell River, for a brief time, was filled with promise. I have a lot of friends that I graduated with that have come back to town because they got work there. And it's uh, definitely a driving force in bringing people back here. Now, Catalyst currently accounts for about $125 million a year to Powell River's total economy. And if that were to go up in smoke, making it up would be the equivalent of a 23% hike in property taxes. It's a kick to people right in the stomach. The workers' union says no amount of cutting would cover this $6 million a month hit. So the only choice is to fight. we got to push back at the bully in the state, say you can't just come in here and start killing our communities. And while residents here are upset with their protectionist trade partner... What are you going to do to us next? I thought we were neighbours. The hope is help will come through the provincial and federal governments. So the U.S. will learn what it thinks is a weak opponent on paper. Won't be going down so easily. John Hua, Global News, Powell River. Questions tonight, along with disbelief over why vehicles in Florida were allowed to pass under a pedestrian bridge while it was in a critical phase of construction. Six people were killed when that bridge suddenly collapsed, and now crews must take on the delicate task of removing the victims. The grueling task begins, trying to remove those who perished beneath the now mangled mountain of concrete and steel. 
our primary focus is to remove all of the cars and all of the victims in a dignified manner. Quite a tightrope to walk, removing the victims with dignity without disturbing crucial evidence in this massive investigation. Our entire purpose for being here is to find out what happened so that we can keep it from happening again. Almost buried alive, Florida International sophomore Richard Humble, a passenger in a car under the bridge. I was scared beyond my life. I didn't think I was going to make it out of the car. I thought when I saw the bridge coming down that I was dead too. The driver of the car, his best friend, Alexa Duran, was officially identified as one of the lost. Searchers say they will use all resources until every person is found. There are a lot of moving parts. The key thing here is to provide as much comfort and show as much compassion to our victims. For those impacted by the collapse? I don't know why they like do all the testing and everything with traffic underneath it. It just doesn't make sense to me. And it really like raises the question of what they were thinking at that time. Left with more questions than answers. Wendy Woolfolk, NBC News, Miami. Toronto police are confirming today there is an ongoing investigation into former Headley frontman Jacob Hoggart. No charges have been laid and police will not identify anyone who may or may not have come forward with a complaint. Hoggart stepped away from his career indefinitely last month after a number of women accused him of sexual misconduct. Hoggart has said all of his sex acts were consensual. Singer Rihanna is refusing to accept an apology from Snapchat after it posted an ad that appeared to make light of domestic violence. The ad for a mobile video game asks users if they would like to, quote, slap Rihanna or punch Chris Brown. And irate Rihanna posting shame on you to Snapchat and called on users to drop the visual messaging app. The company lost $800 million when its shares dropped today 4%. Brown was convicted of assault when Rihanna was his girlfriend back in 2009. For the fourth straight year, the world's most visited monument has turned into a race course. 129 runners from five continents raced up the 1,665 steps of the Eiffel Tower last night. Runners from Poland and Australia defended their respective men's and women's titles. Organizers said this year's event is aimed at celebrating Paris's designation as the official host city of the 2024 Summer Olympics. It was a good morning to hit the snooze button because today is World Sleep Day. The annual 11th Sleep Day is aimed at raising awareness about just how important sleep is to your health. It was founded by the World Association of Sleep Medicine and the World Sleep Federation. They say getting enough sleep can keep the pounds off, boost immunity, help prevent diabetes, increase mental well-being, and ward off heart disease. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Good news concerning the discovery of significant military medals found at a bus stop on Remembrance Day. RCMP located the rightful owner, Zora Singh Tatla. The 78-year-old veteran of the Indian Army was attending the Remembrance Day ceremony in Surrey last November. When he got home afterward, he noticed that his medals, which he earned over nearly three decades of service, were gone. He tried to retrace his route, but when nothing turned up, he assumed he would never see them again. 
The medals were turned into the Surrey RCMP detachment anonymously about a month ago. Finally, yesterday, a notice was sent out to the public looking for help to identify the owner, and it took just 24 hours to solve the mystery. <laughs> yeah, he goes, he's not going to let him fall again. He's going to hold him very tight and he's going to make sure they're secure. <laughs> he's extremely happy that uh, we're, uh, and thankful that he's medals back. He's thankful to the police for reuniting with his medals. Terrifying moments on a ski lift. What happened that had skiers jumping to safety? That's right after the weather forecast. And Yvonne Shell is in for Christy tonight with what looks like a pretty spring-like weekend just ahead of the actual spring. Yes, we're officially welcoming spring on Tuesday, and I'll have more on that forecast. But first off, we wanted to show you spectacular uh, shots of the northern lights dancing in the sky over the Arctic Circle. The northern lights are also known as aurora borealis, are a result of a collision between electronically charged particles from the sun that enter the Earth's atmosphere. So it was pretty spectacular and great video that we got sent in here. Fantastic. Here's what we're seeing, though, in our tower cam shot overlooking the mountains. That We're continuing to see a very similar weather picture for tomorrow. Temperatures are sitting at 9 degrees, a light northwesterly wind at 17 kilometers per hour. Christie's in Galliano uh, today, and this is a shot that she sent earlier, so it's fantastic. And there'll be another uh, day of sunshine along the island as well. We got up to 10 today, so close to where we should be for this time of the year. A record on this day, 17 degrees set back in 1983. 13 is your current temperature for area near West Van, Burnaby, Coquitlam into the double digits at 12 degrees, Pitt Meadows at 14, Langley still sitting at 15 degrees, and areas near Chilliwack with your current temperature at 14, interior sections for Kamloops at 9, and areas into the central interior for Prince George currently sitting at 12. We are seeing a bit of uh, unsettled weather across the central interior. This evening, a chance of showers overnight for the morning hours. Could still see a few isolated flurries. Much drier for your afternoon tomorrow, but much of the province especially the northern and southern regions, will be basking in sunshine. And the next weather maker, war trough, is going to push in on our Sunday, and we could see more cloud cover and even a chance of showers. Northern half of the province tomorrow, Prince Rupert up to 10 degrees. There is more cloud cover inland for areas near Smithers. Much of the central interior tomorrow, it's really Prince George that could still see a few isolated flurries. And the southeastern corners for areas near Golden with a few flurries and then changing over to a chance of showers. Thompson, Okanagan, double digits with a mix of sun and cloud. And across the south coast and the island tomorrow, we're looking at highs ranging between 10 and up to 12 degrees. And Metro Vancouver, anywhere between 10. Inland will be closer to 14 degrees. It's Sunday. That looks where we'll see the chance of showers for a weekend. Rebounding first day of spring will be on our Tuesday with a high of 12 degrees. A very happy birthday this evening to Ben DeFonso from Port Moody, celebrating 101. Vera Collard from Burnaby, celebrating 100. And also, happy anniversary and congratulations to Marguerite Henry and Henry Keepers, rather, from Aldergrove celebrating 74 years. And tonight's weather window sent in from the island. Frank sent this one in. So, very nice. Thanks, Yvonne. Now back to that dramatic video showing skiers being thrown off a malfunctioning ski lift. And a warning, some of the video may be hard to watch. It happened in the former Soviet Republic of Georgia. At least 10 people were injured when the lift sped up to twice the usual operating speed and started running in reverse. The injured people were airlifted to hospital. The mountain company says it contacted the ski lift manufacturer to investigate the exact cause of the incident. So it's going backwards twice as fast. It's like that 
that ride at the that peony you that you, not quite that one, but just that you got kind of. I was thinking. One that goes really at the peony that goes oh, backwards really fast with the loud, the you loud. You want to go faster? Yeah, and the it's loud the piano music. piano one or something. No, yeah. it's like the it's, Music Express. Thank you. That's it. It's yeah. the music one. It's the one, the guy says, you want to go faster? And even if everybody said no in unison, he'd oh. still go faster. But this would not have been fun. This is not fun. Would have been terrifying. don't expect that. No. So we are talking about soccer, but not of the World Cup variety. Uh, no, not right now. We'll wait okay. for a while. Okay. 2026. Oh, wait, there's a World Cup this year right. in Russia. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Vancouver's not going to host any games in that one either. No? Okay. okay. Um, the Whitecaps are in Atlanta tomorrow afternoon trying to make it 3-0 and to start the season, and they have never done that. They've never started with three straight wins. Uh, this will be their first ever visit to Atlanta a team that likes to play up-tempo. Now, the Whitecaps have shown us so far this year an ability to score. They have held leads until the end, but Carl Robinson says, don't let two games fool you. This team is not even close to where it needs to be. Not going to gel straight away. We know that. We're still getting used to players getting used to playing with each other. Uh, we've still got a number of changes that we've made. So um, that some have seen the field, some haven't. So it's, it'll take a little bit of time. Uh, what's important is they buy into the, how we how we do things here. You know, we train properly. We train hard. And if you train properly, you play properly. And that's certainly what's got us off to a good start in preseason and the first two games of the season. But it's a long way. We know it's a long season. There'll be ups and downs. And, you know, people will be singing our praises and, and criticizing us. Listen, it happens. Sounds like our world. They sing our praises and they criticize us. Um, what is worse right now, being a diehard Canuck fan who... Knows they have to rebuild but still can't stand watching meaningless games down the stretch. Or being a player on the Canucks who has to go out there and play the meaningless games against teams in some cases that are ramping up for the playoffs. Likes losing. Losing sucks. Unfortunately for the Canucks, they've gotten pretty good at this losing thing. Vancouver has 32 losses in its last 43 games, the most of any team in the NHL. And it definitely wears on the players. It's tough. I mean, it seems like every single year we run into injuries, and um, you know, having ever regular NHL players out of the lineup, it's it's definitely tough. It's the hardest thing in pro sports, playing out the string in a season where there is nothing to play for. But this is where they have to push through the malaise and try to get something out of another lost season. You try to uh, focus on the the things you can control, and that's uh, working hard and. The effort level needs to be up and uh, doing the right things. And that's, I mean, it gets old after a while, but that's the only thing you can do. Every day, it's uh, it's an audition for guys individually, and it's an audition for the team collectively. But at the end of the day, it's a matter of doing the small things that are going to make you better next year so we can be competitive and eventually get to the playoff position that we want to be in. One thing Travis Green has tried to be consistent with is holding his team accountable. He thought they played a great game in Anaheim the other night and still lost 3-0. He can accept that, especially with so many key players out. But the effort has to be there or they will hear about it. You know, you have to be very honest with your group and make sure just because you lose that you don't send the wrong message. If you lose in a way that is unacceptable, then your team has to hear about that as well. Ball calls back. Looking for help. This season did have a bright start. The Canucks were an exciting team in the playoff hunt over the first two months of the year until the injuries came. That early performance has them optimistic there are better days to come. When we were healthy, we were great. And we were, you know, 
I think from third in our division and you know playing well, playing some good hockey and um, you know to have that uh, you know in the back of your mind, knowing that when we're healthy we're good, um, definitely helps um, you know going into next year and the rest of this year. Very delayed global sports. Alex Ovechkin getting honor before the uh, game tonight against the Islanders because, of course, he's now at 600 goals. Pretty good opportunity. Does he get a goal here? He takes the shot, but it's actually T.J. Oshie who tips it in to give the Caps a 1-0 lead over the Isles. Okay, so Brock Besser can't win the Calder Trophy as Rookie of the Year, so next best thing, the kid from Coquitlam will win it. Matthew Barzell, he scores right there. I don't think anybody's going to touch him now for the Calder Trophy. There is your Rookie of the Year. That made it 1-1, but the Caps have pulled away from there. Matt Niskanen, give him another try. This time he scores. 5-1, third period, Capitals leading Islanders. Milos Ronic trying to move up the rankings again. Down in Indian Wells, ain't Sam Query, quarterfinal action. Ronic trails 5-3 in the first set, came back with four straight games to win four straight, I should say, won the first set 7-5. Query in the second set. Perfect. I know his hair is perfect. I gotta get that gel. What does he do with that? Well, I'm guessing there's a whole tub of gel in that man's hair right now. And it's hot down there too. Match point, Milos. Another match point for Milos. On to the semifinals. Way to roll your arse. Thank you very much. First birdie of the day. Gary, he's hit a now, lot. I like his shirt. The first nine. I liked Milos's hair, and I like his shirt. Put those together, and you'd really have something. Then his second, the second. Tiger at Bay Hill. Good save for Tiger there. Kind of an up and down day. Even par 72, so he's... Still at four under, now tied for 17th, though, but he's in the hunt. He's won this tournament eight times when he was a younger man, but he's still playing much better than he was before. Henrik Stenson, the leader, 11 under par. Nick Taylor just missed the cut by a shot. Okay, I want to show you this post-game speech. Nine-year-old boy. Something that the Canucks actually could probably use is this kid to come in. And well, he, uh, he's, he's upset because this is his final game with his teammates, and he wanted to say something. They, so they said, wait till after the game and then say something. He's an emotional kid, but I like this speech. Here we go. I had a grace. And a grace that I'm with all of you. And I just want to say that I love everything you want to brother. And... I love everyone on this team. I wish, I wish we could stay together. And I'm just really happy that we beat this, this, this cow. My favorite part is the little guy on the right who's just eating the lollipop. Is like, what? What's going on here? Why is everybody crying? You know? Like, I feel like this might be a moment for me to put the lollipop yeah. down. Oh. Here's today's snow report. Should be some excellent skiing and snowboarding this weekend as bases remain quite high. About 300 centimeter base whistler Blackcomb, 425 grouse, 414 cypress, 386 centimeter sasquatch. Revelstoke a base of 261 with seven new. Manning Park, 209 base. Powder King, 269, 226 Mount Washington. Southern Interior, Big White a base of 307, 259 at Silver Star. Sun Peaks, 235 and about 280 centimeters at 8. I like it. Hey, um, yeah. Favorite Muppet of all time is 
Quick. Fozzie? No. You said it like it was a question. <laughs> the two guys in the balcony. Okay, uh, Stadler and Waldorf or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yours? They're not in this one, but Kermit the Frog is. This is commercial for Lipton Tea. Here we go. Can everyone just be more tea? Ah. Hey, make a home. Kermie. It's all celebrities. Kermit the Frog, you know, iconic mm -hmm. figure. Miss Piggy. Snoop Dogg, mm. Miss Piggy. Snoop Dogg's in this one for Money Super Money Supermarket. Here, there you go. Striking the pit. Bam, bam, uh -huh. bam. Well, that's exactly why I always keep This is fear. Phil saved money on his car insurance at Money Supermarket, and now he feels epic. Save money and feel like fear. You're so money supermarket. <laughs> You're so money. Okay, and same company, You're So Money Supermarket, except this time they use action figures. Over. I just saved at Money Supermarket, and now I feel epic. Over.
Digging on that song? There was oh, a lot of jams, a lot of chair dancing. Oh, there was a lot of chair dancing, a lot of jams happening there, yeah. It's a little troubling when an action figure is a better dancer, though. 